Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number 168 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So happy Monday, Matt. Happy Monday, Mark. Doing a little differently this week, uh, recording earlier in the week just due to some scheduling constraints on our end. So um, apologize we're not doing this on our regularly scheduled uh, Thursday morning, but Wanted to get some some things out to you because uh, I know Matt and I both have some things we wanted to share from last week. I had a hard time getting mine down to three or four things I wanted to share. Was, this was a tough week because I had a lot of content, Mark. Yeah, whittling it down. It was hard. So before uh, we begin, as always, just want to take the first few minutes to recap the performance for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track. And these numbers are as of the market close on September 16th. And as always, this data is from YCharts. S&P 500 index down 2.1% for the month and down 18.7% for the year. The Dow down 2.2% for the month, down 15.2% for the year. The NASDAQ Composite Index down 3.1% for the month and down 26.8% for the year. Uh, The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 Small Cap Index down 2.5% for the month and down 19.5% for the year. And the Vanguard All World X United States ETF down 2.5% as well for the month and down 21.5% for the year. Three-month treasury rate at 3.2%, two-year treasury rate 3.85%, and the 10-year treasury rate at 3.45%. Um, not a whole lot in terms of news and headlines from last week, Matt. Um, however, this week uh, we have a Fed meeting, mm-hmm. um, and we are quickly approaching the end of Q3 of 2022, which I'm sure investors are looking forward to, to kind of flip the page and get into this seasonally strong period of the year for markets. Yeah. I mean, you brought up at the beginning of the month, you know, September is usually the weakest uh, month of the overall year. I joke with you very quickly. This has not been a normal year. Um, you know, we're going to go into the fact that uh, on Wednesday here at two o'clock, we're going to have a Fed announcement. Um, you know, following that very shortly, we're going to have earnings season coming up here in Q3. So there's not going to be a lack of catalyst for this market. So my words of wisdom is be prepared for continued volatility in the short term. And I know it's been to the downside since roughly August 16th. Just know that at any moment, this thing could rip to the upside. I'm not saying it's going to, but the, the 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 pump is primed. Just know that it could go in either direction in a exacerbated manner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that leads me kind of into my first thing that I had for listeners today. It was a blog post from Ryan Dietrich on September 9th regarding the upcoming midterm elections. And uh, listeners might be starting to get sick of me talking about this, but I do think uh, it is a really important narrative for the market that you're not going to get just by listening to CNBC or the mainstream uh, financial news media. 
Um, so uh, I promise after the midterm elections, the midterm talk will slow down, but I think this is important. So um, Ryan starts off by saying, should we be surprised that stocks have had a tough go so far in 2022? Maybe not, as this chart shows the worst time for stocks is a midterm year under a new president. With the S&P 500 up only 2.4% on average these years, it helps put the disappointing year so far into perspective. Now, let's check out what happens the following year, which might be something many investors could be smiling about soon enough. So the S&P 500 during year three, Matt, for a mm -hmm. first-term president averages about 20% per year since 1950. So that's Ryan's not a right. small data set. That's not a small data set. No, it's since 1950. So that's actually the strongest period of any four-year cycle. And I'm talking about re-elected presidents, new presidents, and then just the average year in general. Year three for first-term presidents has been the strongest. Um, so again, just going back to kind of what you said, it wouldn't surprise me if we get into Q4 and the next several months or the next year is really strong. And this might be something I think that could potentially catch a lot of people by surprise just because, again, as we've talked about, everyone is so bearish out there right now. Yeah, I have some um, surveys I'm going to be sharing from Fidelity Asset Management here in a second. Talks about the level of contrarian, um, you know, thoughts in the market is just low, meaning a lot of people are all thinking very bearishly right now. Not many people who really thinking that upside's possible. And when everyone's thinking one way on Wall Street, Mark, which ways it tend to break? <laughs> the other way. It does. And everyone's looking around like, how'd this happen? Right. Right. So just saying that, uh, you know, this fat pitch that a lot of investors have been uh, looking for, this might be it, it might not be it, but I think it's, you know, one could make the argument that this is the, the best opportunity that people who've been waiting for that to happen have seen in quite some time. So. It, it, last thing I'm going to say, and this is my soapbox for the day, maybe it's not, but <laughs> earning season coming up, I don't think the numbers are going to be bad for a lot of companies. And everyone's going to be looking around and saying, wow, I didn't know that company, you know, its earnings were so good. Or I assumed because of its share price that its earnings were down 20% year over year. And I just mark my words, you've got a lot of companies that are going to shock a lot of people on the earnings front coming up here. Yeah. Just mark two cents. Yeah, I agree. And to kind of follow up what we just talked about, Ryan next broke down returns by each quarter out of a four-year presidential cycle. And he like says, sure enough, the first three quarters of a midterm year are historically weak. Some of the worst out of the entire cycle, actually. Once again, though, we are on the cusp of some of the strongest quarters coming up, and investors need to take notice of the positive seasonality right around the corner. So again, on average from 1950 until now, the second year of the presidency in the second quarter averages a minus 2.1% return. The second year of Q3 is 0.5% return, and this is for the S&P 500. Yep. The fourth quarter in year two, however, uh, is 6.6% on average. Boom. And year three, the first quarter, 7.4%. 
followed by Q2 of year three, which is 4.8%. So again, I know it's been a really tough year, but looking back at history, we're going into a very seasonally strong period uh, for the market. And I just don't think it makes sense to be in a extremely defensive position for this. Remember, listeners and viewers, there's always going to be an excuse not to invest. And when we kind of look back at just history, especially the last decade, there are a lot of reasons why people are underweight equities are completely out of the market. And you, know, you fast forward and you look at the returns over these time periods, a lot of people missed out, Mark. And this is not a market that you can time right now, in my opinion. This is a market where time in the market is more important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the last thing I want to bring up that Ryan said, um, because we're already starting to see it. I'm seeing it in Ohio, Matt, with all of the uh, campaign uh, commercials out right oh, now yeah. and everything with people going to each other's throats. They're getting more creative lately. Have they you seen, are. seen a couple of commercials during live sports over the weekend. Yeah. It's been, and it's usually it's, it's funny. It's like you have like a like a Democrat and then the very next commercial is the Republicans or like and vice versa. versa. They're, so they're, they're going at each other. They're right, right next to each other. So I, uh, Ryan kind of finishes off by saying odds are investors will start to hear a lot more about the midterm elections over the coming weeks. You'll start hearing that certain sectors will do well if Republicans win or Democrats win, or that certain sectors will do poorly if Republicans win or Democrats win and blah, 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 blah. The truth is no one really knows. And a perfect example of this, Matt, that we've used in the past, but Ryan Ryan also alluded to this, is that after President Trump won in 2016, it was widely assumed that the coal and steel industries would do great, the stock performance, Mm -hmm. right? And the exact opposite happened. And then under President Biden, green energy was supposed to do great and dirty crude and coal would struggle. And again, the complete opposite has happened. Mm -hmm. So you're going to start to hear this stuff in the media. And I would just encourage people not to let that stuff uh, affect their investment portfolio or their investment decisions. Well said. So uh, moving on, uh, I had a piece from, uh, excuse me, a piece from uh, Ben Carlson on his blog, A Wealth of Common Sense, Mm -hmm. outlining his four common sense investing rules. So number one, he says, is stocks usually go up. Over the past 100 years or so, the U.S. stock market is up roughly three out of every four years on average. Almost 60% of all calendar years have seen gains in excess of 10%. More than one third of all years have experienced returns of 20% or more. So you've been more likely to gain 20% or more than experience a down year in that time. Corporations like making profits, people like innovating. Money has to go somewhere and people like the returns they get in the stock market. I agree with everything. (laughs) Number two is sometimes stocks go down. Humans are emotional. We're irrational. We make dumb decisions at times. We change our minds. We take things too far. We're volatile. The stock market shares all of these characteristics too. Combination of money, greed, fear, and uncertainty about the future means that the stock market has to go down sometimes. Short-term losses in the stock market are an unfortunate byproduct of long-term games. We talked about it last week. Those periods of volatility set up years of lower volatility and tend to be favorable market environments. And what are we coming out of, Mark? Right. Highly volatile. 
Mm-hmm. Follow the world out there right now, people. Yep. Uh, number three is the world never actually comes to an end. And if it ever Surprising. does, it won't matter what your portfolio looks like. All of the people trying to make a buck off scare test tactics calling for the fall of Rome, the end of a financial system as we know it, the destruction of the dollar, hyperinflation, and such are always wrong. Here's the thing, though. Even when we have crashes, deep recessions, and geopolitical upheaval, the world doesn't actually come to an end. Things usually work out. And if they don't work out, you'll have bigger problems on your hands than the sharp ratio of your portfolio. All right, I got I got a point I want to prove on this one. I'm gonna I'm gonna add to Ben. Please. So last week, this is not a recommendation for or against the specific name, but uh, FedEx came out and was brutal, doom and gloom. Mark, oh, doom that and gloom. was rough. Okay, so I want to point something out here. Um, it's kind of like the boy who called wolf a little bit with FedEx. Mm-hmm. Okay, because back in June of 2019. Quote, headline, FedEx warns of headwinds in coming year, post a $2 billion loss. Year prior, December 19th of 2018, FedEx shares fall 10% on lowered forecast, hurt by economic slowdown. Tell me, Mark, is the stock market higher since December 19th of 2018? It is. Significantly. Yeah. And nicely. And so when you see headlines like this, I don't want people immediately attaching the, connect the dots that it's going to lead to everything else. So just I want to throw that out there. I think it's a good example to to use right now. Yeah, absolutely. Can you say those dates again? Just while since we're doing this on Zoom, I'm just curious. I want to absolutely see. Absolutely, I will. FedEx so the first one is um, June 26th of 19. June 26th of 2019 was their first uh, uh, cry that things were horrible. Okay, and so June. June 26th of 19. 26 of 19. So that was so FedEx underperformed pretty substantially. So from June of 2019, it went from give or take 155 down to 86 uh, at the COVID low. But let's see the S&P 500. See the advantage, folks, of doing this on a Zoom basis where Mark is right behind his trading system and research system. He can yeah, do this, is, this is helpful. So that you said June 29th? June 26th of 2019. 26. So on June 20, from June 26 until the beginning of 2020, which obviously, you know, COVID happened. Let me give people some uh, percentage numbers to go off of here. And your source on this, Mark, what's what, what, uh, what, uh, stockcharts.com. Okay. Just so people know where the source is from. So when they came out and announced that Matt on June 26th, up to the highest point in the market before the COVID crash, the market continued higher for almost another 18%. Huh? Okay. So how about uh, just amuse me? Just amuse me. What's the S&P done since December 19th of 18? December 19th? Yep, of 2018. 2018. When, and I quote, FedEx shares fell by 10% on lowered forecast hurt by the economic slowdown. And it said a little farther in the article, 
FedEx stock is on pace for its worst day since December of 2008. It's a pretty scary headline from uh, December 19th of 2018. You want to take a guess? What it, well, up to the high, it was up from that point. It was up about 92%. And from that point now, we're still up about 55, 56%, Matt. Ladies and gentlemen, you see the point I'm making. And you know this is this is not uncommon in our industry. You know the, the the headlines that you see portrayed on the mainstream media is either one of two categories: fear or greed. And right now, Mark, what's the emotion that is in vogue? Fear, fear, fear. You got to keep people tied in the news station. Oh my gosh, how bad is it going to get? And this just adds fuel to that fire. And then who knows? End of October, we'll see if I'm right. Earnings season is going to come out. Yeah, there's going to be companies that, that that don't make, you know, their estimates. I get that. But you'd be surprised how many will. And then I'm going to look back. I'm going to sit there and say, remember when we recorded the podcast on September 19th? Mm-hmm. No, that's a good point. Thank you for yep. bringing that up. Yep. Uh, the final point that um, Ben makes is uh, is a really good one. So he says, you have to invest in something. Investing involves risk and risk never completely goes away, no matter how hedged you think you are. Every investment decision you make is simply a trade-off from one risk to another. You could play this game forever in any market or economic environment and talk yourself out of the game. Hmm. There is no single way to invest that will guarantee success or the results you would like. But there is one way to guarantee terrible results with your life savings. Don't invest your money. If you just keep your savings in the bank or bury it in your backyard, you don't have to worry about all the risks that are a feature of the stock market. You'll also crush any chance of increasing your wealth over time. There are always going to be scary headlines and intelligent sounding narratives about why the world is coming to an end. My strategy is to continue saving and investing and following my plan, no matter what the market is doing. None of us controls what happens in the market, but we all have control over how much we save, how much we allocate our, or how we allocate our assets, how often we check the market value of our portfolios and how we make intelligent investment decisions. You focus on what you can control and let the chips fall where they may. Mark, I, I love that you, you picked this piece from Ben. The last point you made about you have to invest in something makes me think about the difference between risk and volatility. And you talked about this a lot on the podcast in the past. Would you just expand on that, please? Yeah, I think people get risk and volatility confused because they think it's the same thing. Um, risk to me is permanent loss of capital. <laughs> um, and volatility is how much an investment goes up and down during any given point in time, right? Yep. And I think, you know, <laughs> the risk of not, investing in anything over your your time horizon. I mean, people are already working later than they would want to. And if you don't invest in the market, unless you're making a couple million dollars per year, it's a good chance you're working until you're six feet under, Matt. Yeah. And that's that's a very that's a very real risk. I mean, we've talked about on the on the show before the rolling 10, 15, and 20-year returns of the S&P 500, and don't quote me on this, but I think over every single rolling 20-year period, there has never been a, 
a, a period where the market has been down. Um, so whether that's, you know, I'm not going to get into, you know, if it's 100% stock, 50% stock, 50% bonds, or heavily weighted in CDs and, and corporate bonds or muni bonds, you just have to do something with your money. And I think people learned a really, really hard lesson after 07 and 08, where I know you've talked to several people and I've talked to several people where they just didn't get, get back into the market still, yeah. even right now, they've yeah. been in cash and the, the returns that they have missed out on, um, I would imagine have had a significant effect on their lifestyle. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I mean, it's well put. Um, so I'll turn it over to you. All right. So my first piece is going to be about diesel fuel demand. And uh, there was an interesting Twitter post that I caught uh, from an individual by the name of Daniela Booth. She's the chief market strategist at Quill Intelligence. She had this Twitter post, and I'm going to read it word for word. Quote time. Paging freight ally as an economic bellwether flags a deep recession. New York diesel futures are plummeting and possibly signaling a slowdown in the industries powered by the fuel, including truck farming and rail. And the picture uh, chart that she associated this uh, mark was a year-to-date chart from Bloomberg showing the four-week average of dissolute supplied here in 2022 versus 2021. And what you're going to find is lately, you're starting to see that demand fall off. Okay. And um, I see this and I'm like, hmm, it just lacks a little bit more perspective. So I looked down in the comments and there was a reply to her post by a trader that I track. Her name's Tracy. She's a partner in global energy material strategist at a, a, a firm called Intel Quarterly. And she says, quote, sorry to interrupt, but I would not call this a disaster yet. And she shows a chart of dissolutes going back roughly three, four years. And it still shows that we are kind of on the upper edge uh, of things. And the reason I like showing this or talking about this is that in short periods of time, you can manipulate that data. You can show last year and show this year being crazy different. Uh And all of a sudden, you start to get that longer term perspective, more data points. And it just pointed to me that, yes, short term, are we seeing demand for diesel and other dissolutes down? Of course. But when you look at in magnitude the last three or four years, it's not falling off a cliff yet. And that's why I just want to kind of throw out this article that, you know, in this last little dip since August 16th, you know, it's like all the fear mongering is back in full force. And just when I see things like this, I just like to provide some perspective. Anything you'd like to add? Well, yeah, I last week I talked about an article that uh, Sam Rowe wrote, um, and it was something along the lines of you can make any piece of data point look the way you want it to. Right. So you can make any piece of data point, any data point uh, look good or look bad. So, for example, if you took uh, performance of the S&P 500 since the bottom of 0708 until now, your average annualized return would look really, really good. Right. Correct, sir. Correct, sir. But if you took it from the top of the market in 07 until now, it wouldn't look as good. Right. That's right. So just with a small difference of like a six month period or a year period can have a huge effect on the data set. 
And that's why, you know, me and you, when we like to point out data, we like to have uh, a large sample size, right? We can't just have an N of four, right? Because that doesn't really mean a whole lot. I mean, we still yeah. talk about that stuff, but we preface it with, hey, listen, sample size is small, so I wouldn't bank on this. But, you know, it's just funny that, you know, the longer you zoom out or zoom in on certain things, especially with performance, you can get a thousand different opinions on, you know, if, if the chart looks good or if the data looks good or bad. So this is just a good example of, you know, you can pretty much make anything look the way you want it to. Yeah. And, and on those examples where we talk about smaller data sets, they're probably very, very rare events that there's not many data sets to compare it to. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I thought it'd just be good to kind of throw that out there and, and just, you're going to see articles like this and sometimes getting further perspective makes sense. When you talked about the market hype back, uh, before the great financial crisis, Mark in 2007, one thing that I saw happen in 2017 and 2018 and 2019 is a lot of, um, mutual fund rating services performance is a big thing for them. And when that 10-year number for a lot of those funds changed drastically from 2017 to 2019, there were funds that in 2017 that uh, there'd be some rating services that would give it their highest rating. And not that the fund did bad the following year or two, but then all of a sudden it was like the lowest ranked. And people are like, well, how did this happen? And it's exactly to what you just mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. And I read... I I think it was in the article by the, like the wall street journal or the financial times or something. And it was talking about kind of what you were just alluding to in that, you know, mutual funds would, they would change their benchmark once their returns stopped looking as good. Right. Yes. So there's manipulation behind the scenes that I think, you know, people should be aware about, especially with mutual funds because they're able to change their benchmark. So That's right. throwing, throwing that out there. All right, my next post is a Twitter post by uh, Rini Yang on September 14th. And Jenna will post this to our show notes. Um, it is a look at every 4% down day in the S&P 500 index mark since 1990, okay? And when viewers see this note, you're going to see um, uh, a subsection of dates. About what, what do you think, about 20, 25 yeah. different instances? where we had a, a day where the market was down more than 4%. I want you to yell at me some of the years that you you see on this chart. What are some of the common years, Mark, you see on the chart that I have there? Uh, 2008, mm. <laughs> 2009. A lot, right? <laughs> a bunch of them, yeah. Now, what you don't see is a lot of different years, correct? Correct. What you're seeing is these things are clustered in, in, in periods of volatility and risk and where risk was kind of heightened in the market. People were worried. The reason I'm showing you this is guess what the average return of all these data sets are three months out and six months out from an event happening where the market was down at least 4% in one day, in this case for the index, the S&P. The average return looking at it was 15% gain and 22% gain six months later when it was up. And I found that really to be big uh, to kind of see those averages. And then just looking at it, it tends to be very positive looking out three to six months later. Any other viewpoint you'd like to share? No, just that, and I'm sure 
I, I would assume that if we did more digging on this data, that most of these days occurred when the S&P 500 was below its 200-day moving average. I would assume the, the, the correlation there would be very high. Yeah, because you see the most volatility when markets are in a downtrend and below their 200-day moving averages. But while the worst days happen under the 200-day moving averages, the best days also happen under the 200-day moving averages because volatility is high. You can have a 4% down day, and then the next week you could have a 4% up day. Um so yeah, it's it's interesting that it, it doesn't necessarily mean just because the market had a really, really bad day that returns are going to be crap over the next, you know, three, six, 12 months. Absolutely agree. All right. My next piece is from uh, Bank of America. Bank of America research that caught my eye on September 13th. This is a chart that uh, Jenna will put up on our show notes. Recession odds still rising among Fidelity Management Survey by their investors. So it's a manager survey, people who run mutual funds. So the net percentage of those saying a recession is likely is nearing the recent two highs of March of 2009 and April of 2020. Now, Mark, you know what I find notable about these previous two peaks. They both marked significant market bottoms. Mm -hmm. And I'm using the word significant there appropriately. Yeah. My next point is that I'm getting sick of the comparisons of 2007 to 2009 to now. I'm sick of it. The monetary system was broken then. Okay. The risk of investing, even in fixed income securities, was broken. The risk of investing in other areas, just as high. The minute people attempt to compare right now, 07 and 09 market environment, they lose credibility with me because it's not apples to apples. So with a historically high 52% of respondents saying they're underweight equities, historically high, while 62% are overweight cash according to the bank's global fund manager survey, which included 212 participants with 616 billion of active management through the end of September 8th, I'm on the camp as a contrarian that pessimism is way too high right now. My yeah. yeah, I think that we've, that's been one of the common themes, I think, this whole year is that pessimism has been, has been too high. Just want to point out that was your second soapbox, by the way. Dang it. All right. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry, ladies and gentlemen. It's just interesting, you know, um, uh, it just it gets to me because, you know, going through that time period and, and uh, really seeing how broken the system was, I mean, that's I've said enough about the, the period. It's just um, when people try to provide the analogies for me right now, Mark, it just doesn't count. So pessimism's high. My words of wisdom is I would be going against the crowd in general, but that's just my two cents. Yeah. And there's all, you know, whenever we have future recessions and corrections, there's always going to be a different reason. It's never going to be exactly like it was in the previous one. Right. Absolutely. But it's just, you know, us as humans, we're irrational, we're emotional, and we anchor to the last bad thing that happened. Right. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. Good point there. 
I'll send it back to you for the financial planning topic of the week. Yeah, this week, uh, what caught my eye was a article from Mary Beth Franklin in Investment News. So it was titled, Two Ways to Reverse a Social Security Claiming Decision. So I think this is something that not a lot of people realize. So that's possible. That that's possible. Yes. So uh, she starts out by saying several workers decided to retire earlier than they might have thought before the pandemic. Uh, and began, uh, excuse me, began claiming Social Security. But amid the reopening of the economy, improving wages, and increased inflation, some recently retired individuals might be considering re-entering the workforce. And so current retirees who plan to work might wonder whether they can reverse their decision to claim Social Security in order to get the increased payments that result from delaying their benefit. And again, just a reminder for people, the longer you wait after your full retirement age up until age 70, your Social Security benefit increases by approximately 8% per year. Okay. She says one option available for individuals who claim Social Security within the past 12 months is to cancel their application through a process called a withdrawal, which can be used only once in an individual's lifetime. This allows the individual's benefit to continue to grow until they eventually decide to claim, but it requires them to repay all the social security benefits received up to that point, up to that point. And the repayment also includes any money withheld from the benefits to pay for Medicare premiums or voluntary income tax withholding. The other option which is available to those who have reached their full retirement age, but are not yet age 70 is just to just suspend their benefits. So this allows individuals to earn the delayed retirement credits for each month. Uh, Their benefits are suspended, um, thereby increasing their monthly benefit once payments are resumed or until age 70 when, when payments automatically start again. So I just think uh, this is a timely article, Matt, because I think now maybe more than ever, yep. people have retired and they're like, oh, wait, I'm hopping back into the workforce because my social security isn't keeping up with inflation or my pension's not keeping up with inflation. Stock market is down and employers are paying people more. So they're like, hmm, if I still have a little mo- a couple more years in me and I just retired early due to the pandemic, Maybe this is something that some people want to uh, want to look into. And then again, obviously, if you earn a certain amount of money, and I can't remember what the threshold is, or, and is in 2022 off the top of my head, you know, your Social Security benefits uh, begin to get taxed. So that's another yeah, thing wanna... people can consider. Yeah, I'm definitely seeing a trend right now, Mark, of people um, going back and working remotely, doing some consultant consulting for you know, two, three days a week. And that way they can still, if they're snowbirds in the winter, they can still work remotely a couple days a week. I'm seeing that trend among our client base more and more. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's kind of, kind of normalized at this point, which is weird if you see people unretire, but um, yeah. Just I just think for them, if they just, they're getting offered numbers, they can't say no to in a lot right, of circumstances. Exactly. Okay. Well, if it doesn't disrupt what I have going on and I can sacrifice two days a week instead of five, uh, I'll do that for the numbers that they're showing me. Um, you know, I, I don't blame them. Right. No, I don't either. I don't either. So um, there is a way to reverse your social security decision. So 
Um, just wanted to throw that out there for people who might not have been aware of it. Yep. Uh, anything else, Matt, before we leave it there for the week? Nope. We're planning on recording the next podcast next Thursday on uh, September 29th. That's the next date. Um, expect volatility to continue, I think, at least between now and the election. Um, don't be surprised to see these big up days and down days. Yep. Agreed. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 168 of the Independent Advisors podcast. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of the week and enjoy uh, the last bit of, uh, or I guess, enjoy the fall that we have until we start getting this cold weather, at least here in the Midwest. We'll see you next week, everyone. All right. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.